We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Finding Peace Podcast. I am not your host. My name is Johnny. I normally host the Are We Where Yet podcast, but today I have the privilege of interrogating uh, your normal host, which is Troy Love. And uh, Troy has pledged to answer all of my questions, right? Truthfully. Yeah, every one of them. Honestly, I, yeah. we should have had people like post and write in questions. That We're going to have to do that later. All right. That's, that's going to be a thing. That people, <laughs> but people want to know. So we're going to find out what makes this man tick and is his real last name Love? Or did he give him that himself that name? That's uh, that's one of my first questions, right? That's Remember? Right. Yes, yeah, that was. was one of my first questions. So let's start off with that. Love, where did that come from? So the the root of that is a Scottish name. It's come, there's a Scottish background. I was adopted. I was adopted at birth. Okay. And I was born on Valentine's Day, for real. For reals. For real. Okay. And the family that adopted me was the last name Love. So even though people always ask me, is that really your last name or did you change it? I really, I really was born on Valentine's Day and my last name really is Love. Those coincidences or fate, what is it? Uh, I think it was fate. Fate? I, think, I mean, I'm a, I believe in a higher power and I believe that my higher power had something to do with that. Uh, I was talking to a guy who is a neurophysicist and he did his math homework and I uh, it's statistically the chances of that happening are like one in a trillion. One in a trillion. Mm -hmm. Well, you are one in a trillion, Troy. Well, Look at that. There you go. That's cool. You even have math to back it up. That's yes. Forget what you know about psychology <laughs> and uh, all this other stuff. You got math behind you yeah. and math never changes. Nope. It's constant. That's it's consistent. Right. That's right. Um, so let's go a little bit further. So love, where did it come from though? Really, it is, um, it is a derivative of Scottish background. Uh, in Scotland, the last name was Luff, L-U-F-F. -F. Uh -huh. And then as they evolved and moved to the United States, it somehow evolved and changed into love. Okay. And then one in a trillion, Troy Love was born on Valentine's Day. That's right. All right, Troy. So how long have you been in this space helping people on their journey to find peace? Officially, I've been in this journey for 10 years, like starting my practice and all those things. But even as a teenager, one of the things that I would do is listen to all of my friends tell me their problems. Mm -hmm. And they were always sharing what was going on with them in their lives. And I was always holding space for them and listening to what was going on. So I've been doing this for a really, really long time. So as a teenager, what do you, what, like typical teenage problems, people would come to you and vent or f try to find a solution mm -hmm. people would come talk to me about like what was going on in their families when their parents were breaking up or conflicts with siblings or being bullied or other kind of things like that and i'd listen to what was going on with them did you give good advice do you remember was there at any time like <laughs> like oh snap i should not have said that 
I'm pretty sure I gave really crappy advice as a teenager. But you, hey, it's A for effort though, huh? <laughs> That's right. That's what started you on this journey. You're just like, hey man, whatever, man, just do it, man. <laughs> but it was, it was interesting. A lot of, um, a lot of friends would come tell me things that were going on in their lives. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know really about therapy or what therapists were at that time. Like that sounds weird, but I didn't, I have no clue, but it was kind of the opening, opening act of what led me to eventually become a social worker, become a therapist. So you mentioned social worker. So is that where, how you started as a social worker? Yes. So I, when I started to go to college, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I, I had really no clue. I jumped around from general to general class and really like I thought I wanted to be an English professor for a while. I took the 7 a.m. old English class. The book was like three inches thick and the professor was from like old England for real. Like I think he was 200 years old and I was not going to make it like it was so freaking boring in that class. There was like, no. So it didn't resonate with no, you. There's no way. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to pass this class. So I had to drop out and take something else. And I uh, thought I was going to be a, fit, a, a a doctor for a while. Like I just was jumping around from class. Dr. Love does sound nice. It does, dude. Not the student loans to go with it, but Dr. Love sounds really nice. Mm. Um, and one, I, I, because of one of the requirements was to take us, like a psychology, social work kind of class, I ended up in social work 101. And there was a, the professor who was teaching that. It was like magic. He was talking about connection and, and making a difference in the world. And there was just something about that class that like resonated with me that that was, it changed my life. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I want to be a social worker. So because your disinterest in, in a certain subject had you lurking looking for other avenues mm -hmm. you happened to get in this class fate or destiny seems to be working on your side again right That's right yeah. yeah and saying you know what and it's one thing it's to recognize those things what you don't like right and having mm -hmm. the courage right to be able to say i don't like it right this isn't for me i'm not going to do well here and you had to find another avenue or it had to find you and right. it did it did so social working, what does that mean? So a lot of people think that social workers are the people who come and take your kids away from you. That is not true. Social work, the field of social work is wide and does a lot of things, both at like the individual level and also at the state and global level of making a difference and trying to help people have better lives. And really the theory around social work is that we're all connected, that we are all, we all are connected in that we need to have resources to help us thrive. And as I was sitting there and listening to him share this and then becoming, going on to other classes, realizing just how true that is, that we mm -hmm. are connected. And then a social worker's job is to try and help connect people to the resources to help them have the best life ever. So you, you guide them in a way. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so as I finished my bachelor's degree, um, my professor, a different professor told me like, dude, you're not going to make a lot of money if you just finish with your bachelor's. You need to go on and get your master's degree in social work and then you can become a, a therapist. Then oh, okay. Can, so that's how it works. Then you can be, yeah. Then you can like 
start giving good advice to your friends. That's right. <laughs> and so that's, that kind of was the trajectory. Like I had no clue where I was going. That was not, I had no idea, but just one mentor after another just kind of pushed me along the way and ended up going to the University of Pittsburgh to get my master's in social work and, and completed that and then moved to Yuma as a MSW and got my first job as a therapist here in Yuma. So MSW, for those that, for those of us that don't know what that is, what is that? Masters in social work. Masters in social work. Okay. Yeah. So are you still a social worker? Have you graduated from that? What does that mean? What does that look like? I'm still a social worker and I'm licensed with the state of Arizona as a clinical social worker. So it's an LCSW. That means that I have the ability to do therapy. I have the ability to have people come in my office and and work with them individually or with families or groups and be able to actually like do therapy with them. Okay. Treat mental illness and those kind of things. Gotcha. Because like you said, and I'm glad you clarified, you know, when you hear the word social worker, that's just what most people think because of popular media, you know, maybe incidents you've had in the past. You just think that's what it is. A social worker come in, deal with the kids if there's some kind of domestic violence or something like that. But it's a broader uh, framework. So much bigger. Um, And social workers do a ton of different things in the world that have nothing to do with taking kids away. Mm -hmm. So that's just a teeny tiny um, aspect. There are social workers that are part of that, but for the most part, it's so much bigger than that. Okay. So what, what some of your, your cases look like? What does it look like if I wanted to come and get some therapy from Troy Love? So I currently have a practice here in Yuma called Yuma Counseling Services. And what I specialize in is couples therapy. I also specialize in treating men who have sex addiction. And then my big thing I work with is helping people recover from trauma. Okay. So that's, it's quite a a big space there. Um, Where does the finding peace tie into that? So I was in a group room in Pittsburgh. I had been assigned to do my internship in a drug and alcohol rehab program there. And honestly, dude, I was like 24 years old. I'd never done drugs. I'd never smoked. I'd never drank alcohol. And here I am supposed to help these people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. Yeah, real addictions, real life. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I was terrified. I had no clue what in the heck I was supposed to do. Thank goodness I had a mentor who was with me. But I was scared. I was scared because, number one, I was thinking, like, they're going to think, what the heck do you know? Like, you don't know nothing about being an addict. What what make you think that you can help me? And the other part is like, seriously, I, this was like my first like time actually sitting across the chair, like not as a teenager doing therapy with my friends, but like a real life, this is a patient, like this is a person Mm -hmm. and trying to help them. So I was really scared. And then they began to tell their stories. They began to tell stories of when they were rejected or abandoned or abused and how because of those bad things that had happened to them, they began to find a drug of choice that would help them cope with their pain in one way or another. And then their lives were falling apart. And the more that they began to tell their story, the more that I realized they were telling my story. Mm -hmm. That although, although 
I was not. I'd never done drugs or never did alcohol. I was addicted to porn. Mm -hmm. And until that day, that moment, I didn't know that it was an addiction. I Before that, I just thought that there was something seriously wrong with me. And then I was flawed and I just, what was wrong with me that I couldn't stop? And to actually realize like, like, no, this is a real live addiction. Unfortunately, I moved, like I graduated shortly thereafter and moved to Yuma. I was one of like 13 therapists here in Yuma and there were no therapists they were all my coworkers, so I couldn't see them. And none of them really had any training in sex addiction. Back then, Patrick Carnes, who's the father of sex addiction, was barely starting his work around treating people with sex addiction. Um, and so there wasn't a lot of resources for me. And so I found a therapist that I would see over the phone. And I began to like ask questions about like, why is this happening? And how can I, how can I make a stop? And there's got to be reasons why I do what I do. And as I began to ask those questions, I began to like put this model to together for myself. For yourself. To help me understand why I did what I did. Mm -hmm. And then as I would like go to different conferences or trainings or stuff, and I would learn more things that would help me create and deepen and expand this model which eventually became the finding peace model. And I began to share it with my clients mm -hmm. and they're like, that really resonates with me. That makes so much sense. Where can I learn more about it? And I'm like, mm, well, it's in my head. Well, well, you should write a book. Yeah, that'd be a great idea. I'll do that one day. After uh, lots of people kept asking me that question, I finally decided I was going to write a book. And so in 2017, the Finding Peace workbook was published. And that's really how the Finding Peace. Um, that's how that whole world became something. Right. Because you had an issue. You were looking to seriously deal with the issue. Yeah. You looked inside. Right. And you created this model that resonated with other people. Right. You know, Lao Tzu says, um, and I believe it's the Tao Te Ching, I know everyone because I know myself. Mm. Yes, beautifully said. Yeah, so and when I when I first heard that uh, that writing that uh, was attributed to Lao Tzu, I, I was like, wow, that makes sense. If somebody takes the time to learn themselves, we're not all that different. Mm -mm. You know, it's just we don't, we don't take the time to do it. Right. And it sounds like you took the time to look inside, to find these things, to create, like you said, a model for how you are going to deal with it. Right. Then you started to share it with people. And then it's like, okay, now write a book. Right. Right. Did you ever think you'd write a book? Never. Never, huh? Never did. No. Was that your first book, The Finding Peace? Um, it was my first published first, book. First published book. I have okay. another book that is not published. It's been sitting in a file for the last 10 years that's that sitting there that needs to be edited a little bit. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know about this yet, but it was my first published book. Okay. First published book, um, finding peace. Now, how, do you tie that into your therapy here? Absolutely. Pretty much every person that I work with, we are using the model at some, in some capacity with every person that I work with. With many of the therapists who work here, I've taught the model to them and they use it as well as part of what they do 
with people. It really does fit well with a bunch of other theories and modalities that other therapists use to help people heal. It just dovetails really nicely with other modalities. And so that's why it works so well. Mm-hmm. And something I'm familiar with is the Finding Peace uh, retreat. Yes, we just did that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we just went on that. Uh, my film crew was able to go and we, we captured some great uh, some great content. So how, how'd that come to life? So one of the most powerful moments for me was in 2009. I had been feeling like I needed a change. I had actually gotten out of the field of of therapy for a little while to do my own work. So I was still going to therapy myself, but I was working at the hospital here in human resources as a leadership consultant. I was working with directors of the hospital and I really liked my job. I loved the people that I was working with, but I felt like there was a calling. I felt like the universe was saying, okay, Troy, you've, you've started to develop this model. You've, you've done some of your own work. It's time for you to go back and help Mm. people again. And I was like, are you freaking crazy? I'm not doing that. I have this really nice job. I have health insurance. Um, Like I I have, I'm, I'm secure. Like I'm not doing that. And just like this, like God was saying, well, okay, I'll wait. I'll wait a little while. I'm like, okay. And so about about every six months, I'd get like this tapping on my chest. A little say, poke, a little mm-hmm. nudge, huh? Mm-hmm. Troy, are you ready? No. No, you're crazy. I'm not doing that. You're crazy. Well, I went to this retreat in 2009, and it was life-changing for me. It helped me connect with some other guys who were struggling with some of the things that I was struggling with, and I had like this like beautiful, like life-changing experience. And after I got home, like there was the poke, except this time it wasn't a poke. It was like knocking on the door, like, Troy, it is time for you to do this. And I'm like, okay, fine, fine. I'm like, so I walked into my boss's office and gave her three months notice. She about fell out of her chair. She's like, are you crazy? I'm like, yes. Yes, (laughs) Yeah, well, at least you're honest. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And then uh, three months after that is when my counseling services opened Mm -hmm. up. Um, But because of the power of that retreat, it made me really want to do it again. So I, um, I did an early, early version of the Finding Peace retreat, probably a year after I opened and then put that on pause for a little while. And uh, until about 2019, right after, yeah, 2019 was the first time that we actually did the finding peace retreat the way that it is now it's been tweaked a little bit but because i knew the power that retreats can have the intense ability to be away from the world for a little while and just focus on yourself and connect with other people and and learn some things that will help you when you go back to the real world i just wanted to do it and so we did Mm -hmm. so again you kind of looked inside of yourself because it was something that resonated with you you felt it and it said, you know what? Other people can benefit from this. That's right. And I was counting, we've had over 50 attendees over the last four years of doing the retreat. Um, the feedback has always been positive. 
people have come back and told me how much it's changed their life, how much they still think about what they learned while they were at the retreat, even today. So we're going to be doing another one in October in Texas. And mm-hmm. I'm really excited to just do it again. You know, um, one of the first things I had asked you about the retreat was the resources or the tools after the retreat. Because I know a lot of people in, in my experience, and, and I've been in the healing space myself because I needed to be healed. Um, I needed healing. But a lot of people would get a cathartic experience and then go home with nothing, right? That They felt like something and they'd be even more discouraged because it's like, yeah, they were away. Um, they were able to bond. But then now it's time to face the actual um, practicalities of life once they get back. So I asked you, before I even agreed to film it, what, like, do you give practical advice and is there tools for people once they leave? And you said what? Absolutely. Because one of the things that I missed by when I went to those retreats and others like that is I would go and I would have this amazing experience and it was beautiful. And then I'd go back to Yuma, which is for those of you who don't know, kind of in the middle of nowhere, where I didn't have the strong support system. And so I would crash and burn oftentimes when I'd come home. And I did not want the participants to have that kind of experience when they came back. Mm -hmm. So I work really hard to build some tools and strategies and a support system for them so that when they go home, the recovery and the re-entry phase does not blow up in their face and they're actually able to continue on the journey after they come home and, and be successful. Which that part was really important to me because um, I, I, I couldn't in my own conscience, in my own, you know, I try to walk in integrity. I couldn't be a part of something where this left people high and dry afterwards. So that was a big concern. So that's helped me um, feel comfortable going. And then I'm friends with somebody that went and, um, and she's still benefiting from it. They have a group that meets once a week, mm-hmm. um, they have, I think, a book group or something. And um, and I, I think one of the um, ladies from the retreat is coming down in two weeks. Oh, and really? they're going to get together. Oh, yeah, cool. they're going nice. to get together. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, you do a lot then, right? You got the, you're an author, you're a therapist, you have the Finding Peace retreat, which a retreat isn't something you just put together in a couple of days. No. How, how do you find time? Uh, I don't sleep. Oh, man. <laughs> I try really hard to practice self-care. Um, I I have a really amazing assistant who helps manage my calendar. And um, I, if I have a client who doesn't show up for an appointment, I'm working on something. Uh, if I have an, an hour... During lunch, I'm working on something. So, and, and then usually at night after like the kids are settled and I'm getting ready for bed, I'm usually working on something. So there's, I'm usually working on something. Yeah, oh, but you, you mentioned health, uh, self-care. I did. Yeah. So that's a big part of it, right? Because you need to be healthy if these other people are going to come to you for health, right? That's right. Yeah. So do you try to s- squeeze that in? I do try to squeeze it in. I try to make it a habit. Um, Mm -hmm. the last couple of months have not been that great for it, to be honest, but usually like in the morning, I'm glad you're honest on this podcast. (laughs) Cause I'm, I was going to ask you the questions, man. Oh, dude, I have to be honest. 
can be fake. Um, so like usually what I've tried to do is make a pattern. So usually in the morning, that's where the majority of my self-care happens. So I try to get up, go to the gym and take care of my body and work out physically uh, for my body, spend some time doing some spiritual grounding, meditation, reading, uplifting literature, that kind of stuff as part of that. And then reaching out to people who are support for me and me for them during the morning time before, like super early before my kids even are up and, uh, and I'm getting them ready for school and all that stuff. And then I come to work and then I work during the day. And then after work, like I try really hard to just like not do a lot work-wise until later at night Mm -hmm. after I've spent time with my kids and stuff. So a lot of self-care is during the morning time. And I I actually, I read that on Instagram today. I follow a lot of pages that are in this space and um, they mentioned getting up early for that particular reason. When the world is quiet, the kids Mm -hmm. aren't up. You just got to get up and give yourself a little bit of time before you go out to the world. So that's a, sounds like a great habit. And I, got confirmation of it from, right. I'm watching Mm -hmm. Instagram. It said, you're saying it, you're a therapist. I'm going to do it. But I have that practice already. Um, cause I had to learn that. Right. Right. I was like, Oh wow. I got to get up when everybody's not right. Right. When the world's not banging on my door and asking me questions. And, um, so that, that's good, man. And that, I know that's a big part of it. And, uh, so you have your therapist, uh, your therapy practice here. This is Yuma Counseling. This is where we're meeting. We got a nice little podcast studio in here for the future of the podcast. You got mm-hmm. some exciting things coming up. So right, it, it, it's pretty cool. How many therapists do you have? That uh, So we have 11 therapists that work here. And then the other side of me is the Finding Peace consulting business. Mm-hmm. That's really kind of where the Finding Peace podcast happens. That business focuses a lot more on the education, um, some coaching, but like more like to help people because unfortunately or fortunately, I guess, depending on how you look at it, um, I'm only able to help people who live in Arizona per my license. And so I can't, I can't really do therapy for people who are outside of the state of Arizona. And so the Finding Peace consulting side of things provides different like classes and uh, and um, online courses and different like coaching type of mm-hmm. experiences for people who find this material to be really helpful, but unfortunately are not able to access it in a therapeutic setting. So we do it from an educational setting. And so that's where that uh, separation delineation lies right. between because of licenses and certain ways that you have to practice your uh, practice. Correct. So, oh, okay. That, that makes sense. So you have to, you created the other one out of necessity. Right. Because I wanted to be able to give people access to it. It's been really beneficial. have had lots of feedback from people about how much it's blessed their lives and wanted to be able to give them access to that in a way that doesn't violate um, ethics. Um, but still helps them have some tools that they can take with them to their therapist mm-hmm. that they can mm-hmm. use with their therapist and, and use that in their families and those kind of things. You know, you mentioned the tools, one of the tools and you know, we're friends. And so I, I just get the benefit of hanging out with you and picking up little things 
um, you mentioned that you asked me about a certain situation in my life and I was telling you how it's going and you had mentioned, oh, so you haven't put a story around it. Mm. And, uh, and I've heard about that before. I've been in this space for a while and I'm like, you know, and I, I didn't. And I was like, whoa, I was kind of proud of myself. I did not put a story around it. And uh, I think I'm going to let you explain a little bit about what that is after this. But I was thinking, you know, you know what? I didn't. I didn't make it into something that it's not or, you know, into my mind and help it grow. And so on that topic or on that uh, last night, I was talking to an old friend, um, uh, a mutual friend of ours. I ran into her while I was going for my walks. I go for a walk around my neighborhood. And I, uh, she said, Hey, you should reach out to this person and see how she's doing. She's not doing well. And, uh, and if anybody can put a smile on her face, it's you. And I was like, wow, that's, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm going to do it then. So I, I ended up hitting this friend up last night and, uh, it's so in, in full disclosure, this is the first girl that I ever really kissed. Like the first real kiss, right? This All is right. her. We haven't talked. I haven't seen her since. I don't know. She was in Yuma like 10 years ago. And then before that, it was like mm, high school. Okay. So anyway, she's not doing good. Her husband left her. Mm. Um, She's going through a divorce. She's in a city that she didn't want to be in. She moved over there. So we were talking and, uh, you know, when we were kids, it was just a kiss. That was, that was it. Like maybe a couple of kisses over there. And then check this out. It, It blew my mind. And I thought, like, I'm never going to, I'm not that good for this girl. Like, I, I can never, she's beautiful. She's a beautiful girl. Mm. Um, I could never be with her. This is the story I'm telling myself. Mm-hmm. There's no way. She's too pretty. This, I met this girl at church. We went to um, a, a, a church together, like a youth group. And this is like seventh grade or something, eighth grade around there. And um, I'm like, there's no way. I'm not going to do it, blah, blah, blah. And so I kind of rejected myself. Mm-hmm. I rejected myself. And so this is a story I told myself. Well, I'm talking to her last night and she goes, I always wanted to end up with you. I always wanted to be with you. And then I was hurt when that I rejected myself. She Mm. brought it up. She's the one that said it like I I would have been with you. I wanted to. And I was sad. And I stopped going to church Mm. after you rejected me. Mm. And I was like, what, what, what are we talking about? We were two different, we were telling each other two different stories. And she, she just recently moved from the South coming over here. So she had an accent. She rechained her like <laughs> speech and she didn't want to sound too Southern. And, um, but she's telling, she's telling herself that she wasn't good enough for me. Mm. And I'm telling myself she's not. And so it was like this thing and in my mind, I got to tell you, she was like the one that got away. Mm. Beautiful girl. Like it, it, you know, always on my mind. She's the first girl I really kissed and everything. And here it is, two different stories. Right. I rejected myself. She rejected so far that she stopped going to church and wow. ended up leaving a living leaving living a different life. Yeah. So go into the power of a story. Yeah. And what we tell ourselves. So one of the things that I talk a lot about are the shadows of shame. And we, and we won't spend a whole lot of time on them. There's six of them. But basically, they're, they're the way that I've learned how to deal with the stories that we've been telling ourselves. And the way that I help people figure that out is by helping them realize that that actually isn't you that's telling that story. That's one of those shadows of shame that's telling that story. Okay. 
And the, the, the shadow that was telling you that was the judge. And the judge was telling Johnny, you're, you're just not good enough for her. Like you're not, she's too beautiful and, and you're just not, you're not good enough for her. And there's something seriously wrong with you. And, and what happens is that as that voice in our head is like telling us that we're like, yep, yeah, that must be true. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that must be true. And we, we just swallow it hook, line mm-hmm. and sinker. And then we live as if that story were true. As if it was true. And we really both did that. Mm-hmm. She left the church. I went on like thinking I ended up dating her friend who I didn't even really want to date. I just wanted to still be around. Right. You know, but I was like, well, I can get her friend, you know, <laughs> anyway, it, it, we just totally miss each other. Actually, she just texted me right now. Like only if we could go back. Right. Right. Like, so yeah, but it's just an interesting thing. Like I wish I had Troy all these years ago to say, this is a story you're telling yourself. This isn't reality, right? This isn't, this isn't the truth. And you said it comes from a shame. Yeah. A judge. That that's the archetype that tells you that story. It's, It's always telling you that you're not measuring up, that there is something seriously wrong with you. And when we buy into that story, we agree with that story and we run with that story. We don't live our true selves. We're not living our best selves. But oftentimes, especially like, you know, we're a kid, nobody's pointing out that that's shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just think, well, it must be me. It must be true. And, and we run with that story and then we make decisions based on that story that actually perpetuate further shame. Yes. Like it adds to because, and it just builds on. And so when we learn how to be able to challenge that, and that's why I use it the way that I do. So I can like look at the judge and say, dude, stop telling me that. Like I can hear that you're telling me that. And I think why you're telling me that is you're afraid that she's actually not going to want to be with me. And so you're trying to protect me from being vulnerable and reaching out and saying, Hey, maybe we can make this work. And so you're just, you're cutting that off before she does. I get that, but dude, you don't have to do that Mm -hmm. because I'm enough and I matter and I am of worth and I can, I can lean into this and if it works out great and if it doesn't, that doesn't mean that I'm not enough. It doesn't mean that. Right. But so I can tell you to shut up. Like I can put some duct tape on your mouth over there, dude. And that's kind of how we manage it. And we learn that that story as was originally told because it was trying to protect our heart. But what it does is it binds our heart and it binds us from being our true self. And so it doesn't actually have the effect that we needed it to have. You know, I told her, um, like, if I went back with all the confidence I had now, have now, like, it'd be a different, totally different story. Right. Like, oh, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm, I love, I'm beaming with confidence, right? So I'm like, geez, like, yeah. come on. But yeah, I, you know, we don't have that. Um, she ended up, like, tearfully telling me what's going on. And I told her, basically, change her story. I told her mm-hmm. last night on the phone, I'd say, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, and she would over and over, I'm not okay. I'm mm-hmm. not. No, no, just stay with me. I'm okay. Yeah. Everything is okay. And she wouldn't do it. And she ended up bawling on the phone last night, mm-hmm. just crying. Just, I hear these tears and my heart's, my heart's breaking because mm-hmm. she's alone in an apartment with just a bed and a couch. And, mm-hmm. um, and I said, no, come on, let's go. And finally she started saying, I'm okay. Everything's okay. I'm okay. And the tears were just flowing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and 
I just hope she continues on that path because I know I had to rewrite my story. Right. And I know that my words are powerful and what I tell myself about situations is powerful before I even get to the situation. Exactly. And so I wanted just to give a little taste as we wrap up of what we can expect from Troy. <laughs> and um, what's, you could listen to this podcast, get more about the story and the other uh, shame shadows. Is that what you call them? That's right. Shame yeah. shadows. But we got to wrap it up. So, and you gave me a list of questions you wanted me to ask yeah. because these are questions, not because you wanted me to ask them. These are questions you ask everybody. This is the speed round, right? That's right. Speed round. So I have to, do I have to say it fast? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm going to read and I can't read fast, no. but anyway, <laughs> um, you, you just got to answer fast, right? I just have to answer without thinking about it. Okay, cool. Right. All right. Um, what's one thing about you that surprises people? Um, I think when they really find out that I was adopted and that I was really born on Valentine's day. That really does surprise people. It surprised me. So that's a right answer. Do we have something for a right answer here? Hold on. Oh, no, my buttons aren't working. Oh, dang. Oh man. Oh, well, hold on. Here we go. I'm going to find it real quick. Okay. No. Anyway, we'll get to it later. <laughs> we'll get the buttons working. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a great answer. Thank you. Um, okay. We've all faced a major decision in our lives that has resulted in us choosing to take a left turn instead of going a right turn. When you are faced with such a dilemma or when were you faced with such a dilemma and how did you, how did it work out? And uh, you know, cause I, I, I know the questions. So <laughs> I had time to think about this. Okay. <laughs> um, I was, I was really thinking about like when I was a teenager, one of the things I really loved was the theater and I really wanted to go to New York and try out for Broadway and probably wouldn't have made it, but um, that was a dream of mine. And so that, and I didn't, I went to school, uh, I went to school and I ended up in a social work 101 class instead. And so I, I often wonder what the trajectory of my life had been like if I had gone to New York and tried that. Um, but that is, that was a defining moment when I chose to stay and go to college and ended up in a social work 101 class and and look at what's happening now and the lives that have been changed because of that decision. That's a great answer. Thank you. Okay. What book are you reading? Go. I'm reading Profit First by Mike Mikhailovich. Probably murdered his name. And then Actionable Gamification by Yukai somebody else that has a also you just had to pick people with a hard hard last I, names to pronounce i'm huh? using both books at the same time you're both do you do audible or do you read audible audible yeah what um good books so far yeah so profit first is really just making one small change in the way that you manage your finances in your business to to shift things around and then actionable gamification is figuring out how to like make um, games fun. And I've really been trying to figure out like, as I want to change behaviors, how we can turn that into a game that makes it fun. So um, making game, gamifying our lives is what wow. I'm looking at. So cool. So, okay. Next question. When have you felt most alive? Mm, when I am. Hmm. When I'm looking at a beautiful sunset 
or when I am screaming on a roller coaster or when I am holding hands with someone that I care about. In those moments, I feel the most alive. Can, can I suggest one? Sure. Maybe when you're on stage. Yeah, I do feel that. Right? Because you are brought a broad break earlier. So I was thinking like, hey, maybe when you're on stage, think about that next time. I don't know. Feel that when you're be I in it. I feel that way. I do. That's true. Because, yeah, it's never too late, man. That's We're going to figure something out. Okay. Okay. So if you're going to spend the rest of your life on an island and can only bring one item of personal meaning, what would it be? So a personal meaning item. Hmm. I forgot about this question. <laughs> uh, my. Hmm. Because I can't bring people. Um, I would probably bring my journal where I would be able to write about my experiences that I've had with the people that I have met in my life. When you said that, I felt it. Yeah. That's such a great answer. Bring your journal. Mm-hmm. That's uh, yeah. I love that. Thank you. Um, okay. Name a person or a teaching that has a positive impact on your life. Uh, Mr. Rogers has had a profoundly positive impact in my life of unconditional love and regard for people. And um, my High school English professor, or English teacher, Mrs. Ruskowski, has made a profound difference in my life. All I wanted to write in high school was fractured fairy tales, and I'm sure she wanted to pull her hair out from that. And she kept trying to get me to write something different, trying to get me to write something different. And it was in my senior year. I was My parents were getting divorced, and I was not doing well, and I wanted to use that as an excuse for poor for poor poor performance in school and she wouldn't let me she's like dude we all go through hard stuff you need to try harder and keep going i'm so grateful that she didn't let me slide what's a daily practice you most do every day you must do every day meditate meditate i must meditate you must you you do it every day Mm -hmm. well how how long i try but um 20 minutes 20 minutes every morning that's that's a good one. Yeah, I was I was listening to something. Uh, the one of the most important reasons for us to meditate these days is because we're not sleeping well at night, so it kind of makes up for it. It resets our um, our nervous system, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of fancy words that I don't know right now. But uh, that's a great one. Meditating that yeah. changed my life. That got me off of a lot of uh, antidepressants and oh, certain things. Awesome. So absolutely yeah. meditation. Okay, so. What's one question you wish I'd ask you and how would you have answered? I don't know. I think you did a really good job. Thank you. I was hoping you would say that. No, I'm just kidding. But I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you very much, man. Um, What does finding peace mean to you? That's good. We get to ask the man. What does finding peace mean to you? Can can I preface that? Can I say a little? Because here's one thing I, I, and I wanted to bring this up anyway, so it's perfect. Versus I just want to be happy. You hear people say that, I just want to be happy, but it's like with that attitude, you, you'd never will be. So what's the difference between that? What's finding peace? Well, we live in a world where there's a lot of pain and suffering. And so for me, finding peace is how do I find the joy and the love and the connection and the sense of peace that everything's going to work out 
even when there have been hard things, when I'm enduring painful moments, how do I do both? How do I lean into the discomfort and find peace? And for me, finding peace is the sense that it's going to be okay and that I'm enough and that I still make a difference. Last question. Where can people find you? They can find me at findingpeaceconsulting.com, troyllove.com. Um, I have two, three books on Amazon that you can go look for. And uh, you can also find me in Yuma, walking my dogs on the canal sometime. And more to come on this podcast, right? That's right. So um, for those, a little bit of... Uh, background here. I'm going to start producing the podcast for you, help assisting. You've got, you. we got some good guests that are lined up. We got somebody helping out with that. Going to be booking some guests for you. And I'm pretty excited about this partnership and what we're going to do. And it's an honor for me to be in this space with you. It's, I'm really grateful, Johnny. I, I'm grateful too. And this is exciting for me. And I, I just like I had that phone call last night with my friend and I, I want to see her healed genuinely. I, excite, I, get excited, I get excited doing these things because I want people to be healed by what we're going to produce and what we're going to do together. Mm, me too, man. So thank you for letting me interview you, man, and let it uh, be on the other side. Thank and uh, good luck on your next interviews. And uh, everybody continue to listen to this podcast, share it with your friends, and we're out. All right. Peace out. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If we added value to your life, let us know or give us a rating. Before you go, subscribe to the show and get new episodes as soon as they are published. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. And don't forget to grab your free copy of the Amazon best-selling book, The Art of Peace, by going to www.troyllove.com. Copyright Finding Peace Consultant.